Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Nudie Brains Podcast. My name is Emily, and I'm the host. I'm really excited to be interviewing my friend Sharon today, who is a vertebrate ecologist, so sorry, another person who studies things with backbones, but she has a really interesting story because she spent some time working in the Peace Corps before coming to graduate school, which really helped her be able to do her field work, um, which was also in a very remote location. And I think her story is really interesting. She talks about, you know, the importance of being able to communicate with people um, and how, you know, we all need to work together to solve climate change. And it's not just, you know, one country doing one thing. We really need to all work together. So if you do enjoy this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And... Also, again, this week, I recorded the podcast outside, so there are a few times where it gets a little bit windy. I'm still trying to figure out exactly where I should record it so that I don't have that issue anymore, but thanks for bearing with me. So I'm very excited to be interviewing my friend Sharon from graduate school today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Sharon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's start off. What is your favorite invertebrate? So I had to think about this one, um, but I think I'm going to have to go with the Christmas tree worm. Those are cool. Those are super cool. And my first time seeing them, I was just snorkeling down in the South Pacific. And I was like, what are these very colorful little things? Oh, my God, they're moving. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And where in the South Pacific were you when you saw those? I was in Vanuatu. Okay, cool. I know that they had a season of Survivor there. That's (laughs) about the extent of what I know. (laughs) So I actually lived in a village very close to where they had that um, season of Survivor. Cool. That's awesome. So why did you get into science? What made you start studying it? You know, I grew up, um, I guess, playing in tide pools my whole life, and that's that was my first love of yeah. the ocean was <laughs> tide pools. And I didn't know that I wanted to get into science per se, but I felt like every job that I did or like everything, everywhere that I went, there was always marine marine biology, mm-hmm. and that's just what I love doing. And I guess that's just kind of how I fell into it. Yeah. That's awesome. Speaking of your travels and things like that, I know you spent some time in the Peace Corps before starting graduate school. Do you want to talk a little bit about that experience where you were um, and especially how it's influenced how you're able to do field work now? Because I know your field work is a little bit rugged too sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess um, the Peace Corps was my first real exposure beyond camping to really rugged living conditions. Um, I was placed in Vanuatu in the South Pacific um, for two years in a rural village uh, of 260 people. Wow. So we knew everything about each other. Um, And, uh, yeah, living conditions were rough. I didn't have electricity or running water for two years. Um, Every time I tried to go to the bathroom, I'd have to walk across, like, three families' lawns to get there, and I'd have, like, seven children following me, asking me where I was going, so it was, <laughs> you know, no privacy, um, but it was a really good learning experience. I mean, I was in my early 20s, and it just really opened my eyes to the world, so I think the two biggest things that I took out of my Peace Corps experience were, A, learning to accept failure. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, growing up, I was straight-A kid, never failed anything. Um, so failure is something that 
you know, you don't want to fail every day, but it's going to happen, especially in grad school, trying to put together <laughs> projects and things like that. And you really have to learn how to deal with it and accept it um, and just keep moving on. So that was probably the biggest lesson I learned. And the second one was probably like dealing with the fear of the unknown. Yeah. Because also similar to grad school, you know, there's, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how our projects are going to turn out or what our trajectory in life is. And we got to find a way to deal with all that. So I think those were my two big takeaways um, from my Peace Corps experience. Yeah, that's awesome. What did you do specifically? Like, were you teaching people English or doing science? I don't know much about the piece. Yeah, course, no, no so. worries. So I was an um, environmental resources volunteer, and I ended up working on a project with the fisheries department in Vanuatu. We were trying to spawn um, actually some invertebrates, the oh. were the troca snail and the green snail, mm-hmm. um, and giant clams. We were spawning them and trying to restock the reef with these. And... It was a good project, but, you know, one of the reasons I talk about failure is because it turns out that people can be really corrupt. And what was a community project ended up having money taken away from it by the people who are supposed to be helping it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that was a huge learning lesson. That's challenging for sure. Um, What is your research focus? Currently, um, it's on leatherback turtles, so... I study leatherback turtles nesting in Costa Rica, um, and I was trying to use stable isotope analysis to see if we could distinguish where they've been foraging before they mm-hmm. come to nest in Costa Rica. Yeah. That's awesome. <clears throat> and did your time in the Peace Corps help you at all in your time in Costa Rica, or was it like nice, super nice, you know, no. hotels and <laughs> stuff in Costa Rica? For sure. So my time in the Peace Peace Corps definitely helped. Um, my time in Costa Rica, I spent four months in a village of like 500 people. It takes two bus and a boat to get to the village. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of traveling and um, it's pretty remote. You know, it's like dirt paths. There's maybe like two cars in the village. Oh, gosh. Um, and there was no privacy. Like everywhere I went, once again, it was people Seven asking, children following yeah, you to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Multiple questions. Where are you going? What are you doing? You know, come help me with this. And so I was prepped for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's good. Do you have a favorite memory of being in Costa Rica or anything funny that happened while you were there? Oh, man. Um, I mean, it was like four months uh, this time around. So... I guess, and I I posted about this, like a little story about this a while ago, but it was just really being moved by people in Costa Rica in my village. Yeah. Um, I had a friend there that I knew from my previous time in Costa Rica. um, And, you know, during my field season, I left for a month to go home. And I asked him, I had talked to him and showed him everything that I was doing. And I asked him if he would you know, opportunistically helped me collect some samples while he was out patrolling the beaches. And I didn't realize it would turn into him doubling his shifts oh my gosh. for free because he gets paid to patrol the beaches um, and look for turtles. But he started doing double patrols and not getting paid for them um, just to help me collect samples. And I feel like if it wasn't for him, you know, my research would be set back by 
probably about a third of the samples that I have. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome that he helped out so uh much. Wow. (laughs) That's so great. Um, So moving on a little bit, what do you think is the most important thing about our planet that everyone needs to know? Like if you're, you know, life or death situation, what is one thing that you've learned through your experiences that you want to just share with everyone? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Can't throw this question I'm on sorry. me. <laughs> um I I feel like education's key mm-hmm. and travel's key. Like you can't share your experiences or things that you know with people if you don't talk or communicate. And you don't even have to speak the same language, but you can communicate and that's that's the key. Like if we're going to save the world, if there's any chance, <laughs> we have to learn to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And on that note, did you, I don't know what language they speak in Vanuatu, <laughs> but did you have to learn that language? I or? did. Okay. So they, actually Vanuatu, I think is the most, uh, they have the most number of languages per capita. Oh my gosh. In that country. Scary. So there was like 120,000 people total in the country and there's over 200 languages whoa yeah so um they have a national language so that you know everybody can communicate it's called bislama and it's very similar to like a pidgin english okay yes kind of similar to what they might speak in like hawaii or or fiji Mm -hmm. yeah That's awesome. Yeah. But I think that's a great tip that like, you know, everyone does need to communicate. And when you were out there and well, I guess in Vanuatu and Costa Rica, did you see any influence from like the United States or anything like that in terms of pollution um, from like super, super developed countries that are just polluting everywhere? Did you see any evidence of that? I mean, I guess if I'm thinking about Costa Rica specifically this last time I was there, the entire beach was littered with plastic. Oh, gosh. And granted, it's not floating there from the States. Um, it is plastic that's thrown there by people there. Okay. Um, but where is it all manufactured? You know, yeah. where are they getting this from? It's the big companies like the soda companies and straws. That's not being made in Costa Rica. Not in so. that town of 450 uh-huh. people. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that would be like um, something that I noticed. Yeah, that's sad. Um, If, you know, if somebody young is listening and they're thinking, well, I want to be like Sharon when I grow up, what kind of (laughs) advice would you have for them? Like career paths or summer camps or anything like that, internships? Definitely. Um, Internships, volunteer. I think my path was a little different from most of the students that we go to school with. Because I took, I ended up taking a lot of time off between undergrad and grad school. Um, I joined the Peace Corps and then I traveled a lot. so I didn't start grad school till I was like 31, I mm-hmm. think. <laughs> um, so I would definitely, you know, sometimes I go back and forth between like, was it the right thing to do? But I wouldn't trade any of my experiences um, at this point. So I feel like I might recommend, yeah, go out and get some life experience, volunteer, travel, do some internships. Um, maybe don't take like a decade off between undergrad and grad school, but definitely get out there. Yeah. Have yeah. you had, has it been hard to jump back into school after taking time off or was I it? I thought it would be harder. Okay. But that's good. Yeah. Everybody's been really awesome. You know, I've been kind of behind in like technology, but everyone's really, 
really nice and has helped me catch up. <laughs> I mean, I would still ID you to buy alcohol too. So you don't seem <laughs> you definitely don't seem any older than most. And a lot of students take time off here too, so I think that's good. Um, let's see here. What is one thing that you would say to climate change deniers? Oh man. <laughs> Another hard one. I know, sorry. Um I don't know. I feel like that's one of those really sad topics where I just I don't even know what to say. Like I guess I have to learn how to communicate with them. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard. It's hard. Did you I mean, what are threats facing leatherback sea turtles, for example, from climate change? Biggest threats, I guess, from climate change specifically would be probably, um, I guess, erosion, beach erosion. Yeah. So they're not able to lay their nests where they once were. Sea, sea level rise um, is eating up some of their habitat as well. And then, you know, that, I guess climate change threats go behind human threats for them. Mm -hmm. So their biggest threats are really um, human harvesting of eggs and, um, I guess, commercial fishing, where they run into a fishing line and fishing nets. Yeah. So mm, That's so sad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's end on a very positive note <laughs> after all of this. Um, what obscure fact or pun about invertebrates would you like to share with us? Okay, so I have two because I'm not sure one of them is appropriate for. <laughs> it's okay. Amanda talked about barnacle penises on the first oh, episode. Oh dang it! So. That was gonna be mine. Oh man, I was... do the inappropriate. One. That was the appropriate one. No, that was the inappropriate. Oh, okay, one. good. So um, <laughs> mine was gonna be that uh, I learned that barnacles have the longest penis proportional to their body size. Yeah, yeah. Um, it can be like for male barnacles up to fifty times as long as their bodies. <laughs> It's efficient. <laughs> but I guess uh, a more appropriate one might be, I don't know, I recently saw a friend post a picture of, like, some barbecued shrimp or something, and they just simply wrote, you are shrimply amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. I like that. <laughs> well, Sharon has an amazing Facebook, or sorry, Instagram, where she posts all these really cute pictures of otters and all sorts <laughs> of cool things that she comes, ac uh, comes across with really funny captions. What is your Instagram so that people can follow you? So it's, um, my handle is at Shaw. S-H-A dot Sue, H-S-U. Perfect. Yeah, definitely give her a follow. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Sharon, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. <laughs>